continue in our uh, sermon series, Comforting Others. Um, we finished our authority uh, message series about the authority of Christ and that we carry that authority with us by faith in Jesus, that we can do all things, all the things that he's called us to. And so this afternoon, we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians. Some of it might be a little bit of a carryover, so don't get upset with me. It's on purpose because sometimes we need to hear things again and again for it to stick, to stick. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you, Lord, even in the preparation, Lord, that uh, you would have me say what I should say and that what, what is to be gleaned and applied to our lives, that we would apply it and jettison everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Comforting others. How many of you enjoy to be comforted? Yeah. Receiving a good report, receiving a good word, having someone put their hand on your shoulder and saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And this is what's happening in Corinth. Paul has written what we believe to be his fourth letter to the church in Corinth in, in uh, the province of Asia, Roman province. And so he writes this letter in 2 Corinthians. He says, blessed be the God. I'm starting in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. While you join in helping us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. What a really encouraging passage. This letter that Paul is writing to the believers in Corinth, he's showing this genuine affection that we talked about last week, genuineness, genuine care and love for the believers in Corinth. He says in chapter 2, I wrote to you from a place of pain, but from a place of deep, abundant love that I have for you. The abundant love. And, and for today, the point, our walking point for today is this, eyes on the prize. Our eyes on the prize of salvation. He writes in here and talks about how his trust is even though his life, he despaired of life itself, a lack of hope, a loss of hope, yet he believed that God who raised the dead, 
who raised Jesus Christ by the very power of his spirit would also give life to him, would deliver him. How often do you think of that word salvation? The word salvation itself can mean a few things. It can mean preservation from harm or pain. It can mean deliverance from harm or pain. But in studying of the word of God, for us, it is all that, but most assuredly to be delivered from the consequences of sin, to be preserved from sin. And so this is something that's all encompassing. Paul is keeping this in the back of his mind as he's writing this letter, this, this incredible deliverance that comes through faith in Christ. I couldn't help but think of Peter, one of the other disciples, who said, the goal of your faith, when you believe in Jesus, you're receiving that goal, which is the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls. And so he tells them, not only will you face sufferings like Christ, but the comfort that comes from the Lord will also overflow to you. And so as I was thinking about that, it, it was really helpful to have a little bit of background information that this letter was written in 56 AD, six years after he planted this church. And yet in his first letter, in chapter 15, he spoke this incredible hope the incredible grace of God, nothing fazed Paul. In chapter 15, he talked about how one day when the Lord returns, that he would raise both the living and the dead to be caught up in the air. And nothing was shaking Paul in that letter. He was covering some very difficult issues and topics, matters of Christian life and obedience in the faith. But now in this letter, he's being completely open or vulnerable and saying, I even despaired of life itself. He was human like us. But let's flash forward for a moment to 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's quite telling to see how Paul has reorientated his thought life. It says in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, and we've heard this so many times, 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply many teachers for themselves to hear what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and they will turn aside to myths. But as for you, and he's speaking to Timothy, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the part we want to take away here. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who love his appearing. All of us. This is a letter that he penned 10 years after he wrote 2 Corinthians. And so this very letter to Timothy that I just read was written when Paul was in his final imprisonment in Rome awaiting his execution. And so in many ways, this letter that he's penned to Timothy is prophetic. He's saying, my life is being poured out as a love offering. He's given it everything that he can give. And we can think, as we flash back to Corinthians, he gave them everything. 
His heart was like a cannon upon them of great love and depth of care for them. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And as I went searching to see, well, when did the apostle Paul meet his end? It's amazing that we can actually know that day. That day was believed to be June 9th in 68 AD when he was beheaded. And yet right up to that moment, you know, no one was there, a camera crew watching Paul from there to the gallows. But we see from this letter, he said, I've kept the faith. And now let's go back here for a moment to Corinthians. Here he's saying in all these, in the midst of sufferings, in the midst of affliction, there was a point in time where he despaired of life itself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there one day, you're on the mountaintop being like, I got, I'm keeping the faith, I have the faith. And the next moment you're like, I've lost it. <laughs> I'm despairing a little bit. Paul is being real with us. And like you, when I read through these letters, especially what Paul wrote to Timothy, I can't help but take those words for myself and believe them as if they're true for my own life. And that's what we're supposed to do as we read the word of the Lord. Paul also told Timothy in in chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, he says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word to all the Gentiles and that they may hear it. And that I was rescued from the lion's mouth. In verse 18, I love this. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Remember that word deliverance, salvation, to be delivered from harm, to be delivered from pain. And yes, the consequences of our sin. We experience life through faith in Christ. He's completely entrusted his life. And I believe for a moment here, when he wrote this letter, Paul, just for a moment, maybe just for a glimmer, if I could even say that, he says, I was despaired of this hope, of this life, just for a moment. But then he's so vulnerably open and saying, but we felt we received the sentence of death in verse nine, but this was for a purpose. So they wouldn't trust ourselves but to trust in God who raises the dead. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom for him to get our attention. And here Paul was believing and trusting that not only is he going to deliver me from all my fears, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was ridiculed, he had opposition on every side from Jews and Gentile Christians and Gentiles in particular. And yet he kept going. He believed that Jesus would deliver him into that which he believed and trusted most, that he would be brought into his presence evermore. Let me ask you this question. Are we prepared to go the distance? This is something I I had to ask myself. How far am I willing to go? How far? What will it take? In today's landscape, things are starting to shift in North America. Nothing like our brothers and sisters overseas. The type of affliction of difficult circumstance is nothing like the difficult circumstance we face here. It's a cakewalk in comparison. How far are we willing to go? You know, we proclaim, and I'm talking with a brother here this week, we proclaim in prayer, which is so true. We, we believe that the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's being unleashed within our lives. And it is by faith in Jesus. We pray and say, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And we're, we're revering his holy name. And yet in the midst of all this blessing, in the midst of all this provision, how far are we willing to go when there might seem to be a lack? Don't misunderstand me. God, his timing is always perfect, but there's seasons and things that we go through. But that's what Paul is showing us. The supply is always going to be there, but there will be testing times. Paul's ministry campaign that we touched on last week was no luxury cruise. I, I can't help but think of that image. I know we have a few people that are going to be on a cruise later this month. Christianity is not like that buffet, buffet type of luxury liner. There's wonderful experience to be had, adventures. We see God healing people in, in other parts of the country um, or other parts of the world, people being raised from the dead. And yet, yes, there's affliction. But there's comfort in knowing, as I read through this letter and you read through the rest of Corinthians, that in the midst of affliction, the gospel goes out and people hear the gospel and they're being saved and the kingdom expands. And so Paul wrote this to Timothy in the midst of all this. Again, 10 years later, he says to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 10, this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Jesus Christ. He embraced his chains. He embraced the chains, the affliction that he faced for the sake of the elect. Think about this today. What are some of those chains that maybe we experience, or maybe you have experienced? I honestly had to think about it. What, what does that look like today, especially in Canada? I think most recently, in some respect, we experienced the chain of censorship. No, no, you, you can't say things quite that way. No, 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 like, actually, you can't meet right now. You're going to have to, you know, stop worship. We had a chain in some respects. And I'm alluding to some few, a few things. I'm going to allow you to fill in the blanks. What are those chains? And for me, over the last few years, it just made me realize we really are going to have to take ownership of our faith because it's not going to get easier in the last days, right, with this people looking for people to teach wacky doctrines, especially in the church. We've got to be prepared we got to be ready to endure while we believe that God is going to provide every blessing and provision for us to discharge the duties of our respective ministries. Paul embraced his chains. And this is the image I kept just seeing how he was embracing the chains. It wasn't easy sitting even in a dark dungeon, cool and damp. And yet it sounded like in his last imprisonment that he was under more of like a house arrest. And yet he was still under guard. And this is what Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 1. Just imagine this picture as he writes this letter to believers in Philippi. It's quite incredible, this witness that he brings while under uh, enduring affliction. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Think about that the next time you're enduring a hardship. Maybe a sickness in your body and you have to go to the hospital. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that in my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. The very fact that he's in prison is allowed him to minister to a whole imperial guard. 
a great number of soldiers who otherwise wouldn't have heard. You've got to remember, at the time of even, while well, Philippians is written, over 10 years earlier, a decree was put out in Rome that exiled all the Jews. Christianity, Christians were being persecuted. Some were being martyred. And yet here's Paul saying, all this is for a purpose so the gospel can be advanced. He goes on to say in verse 14, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. When you hear someone going through affliction, how often does it embolden you to be more bold? Or does it cause you to be like, oh gee, maybe I should dial it back a bit. One of the things right now in the government legislature is, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's something I'm wrapping my head around, especially as a pastor. But this aspect of those who are in transition, I'm going to be careful with my words because this goes out online, but they're in transition. And according to the government, if someone comes to you and, and asks for help or, or wants to, you know, talk about things, even as a pastor, even someone giving, you know, biblical guidance, if I was to say anything in opposite to, or not being affirmative to that transition, I could be put in prison for eight to 10 years. Think about that. A chain, a censorship. Or the opposite where we know in Psalm 139 that each of us have been, each of us have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our creator. We all have these chains that we've experienced, but chains that are on their way. But Paul says this is for a purpose, is to advance the gospel. I remember when I was, I'm going off scripture, I remember when I was uh, going through cancer treatment and uh, the Lord was touching my body. I really believe that. And yet I still had to go through all these, you know, the process of seeing specialists and such. And, and now I get it. I get it why I had to go through some of those other pieces was because of the testimony. I remember my surgeon talking to me. He goes, you're really not afraid to go under the knife. I'm like, no, like I know where I'm going. Please do a good job. Okay, I'm not eager to just depart my family. But we were able to share and talk this, this confidence, this faith in what we believe. Even talking to the nurses on the operating table, having a few chuckles before they put me under, talking about that same faith. It's all for a purpose. I was encouraged by our sister Dawn, who's not here today, and Dawn, we're praying for you, and she's going through some health struggles, and, and she encouraged me also. We were praying for her eyesight, and she said, you know, Pastor Andrew, if the Lord doesn't re uh, restore my eyesight, it's because, well, I'm meant to minister to somebody when I go to see the doctor or, I, or those people I'm going to meet in the waiting room. Hear Paul in a similar fashion. This is for the purpose of advancing the gospel. By me being in prison, I'm ministering to a whole imperial guard. And he writes and continues in verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. Don't miss that, fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. Because he, he, he's looking forward to the day when he's gonna be in the glorious presence of Jesus, to be in heaven. He says, I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. We understand this. Every day when we lose a loved one, there's a void. 
We miss them tremendously. Well, Paul is caring for so many people, other believers and churches that have been planted. They're just beginning. Some are, you know, more, more filled with vet- veterans, but others are just beginning. And I love how he says in verse 25, I'm persuaded of this. I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. May abound. There's this mutual purpose that happens when we face affliction. There's this incredible proclamation that goes out when we face affliction. But it most assuredly shows us that we need each other. We need to encourage each other. I can't begin to tell you, even at the time, I hope this is okay, I can say this. Uh, yeah, sure I can. At the time, Brad was my doctor when I was going through, you know, the cancer treatments. And, you know, when you think about how things have transpired until today, we've become good buds, good friends, and I'm thankful for his encouragement. The testimony, the people that you come in contact with, you develop relationships, you develop friendships. This is all part of it. Sometimes we think we're just on this island ourselves, you know. I'm just, okay, I don't need the church. Have you heard those people? I, I, you know, and I appreciate the faith, but you go and you hear and they say, I don't need the body. I don't need to go to church. Well, where's the assembly? Where's that camaraderie? Where's, where, how is that encouragement happening from your fellow, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? I so look forward to coming here every Sunday because there's, there's, there's a, a freshness. There's, yeah, we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're encouraging each other. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go to encourage your brother and sister in the Lord, but also in the assignment that he's put on your heart? And you know that assignment. You know what he's calling you to. Planning a church in today's day and age is no easy feat. It's definitely not, you know, a luxury type of thing. (laughs) But it is rewarding. Because people's lives are being impacted. People's lives are being transformed. So here, back to our passage, Paul is showing us here, he's, he's showing us how important it is to be real. To be real. He was in full disclosure mode. Look at verse 8. He says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia, where we're completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. He says in the province of Asia, in Asia, Ephesus was the capital city. You don't have to go too far except to Acts 19 where we see his ministry in Ephesus and the wonderful fruit that transpired, an entire city transformed by the gospel message, people giving up their professions, giving up their worship of idols. It's a wave that goes through the whole city to the point of this worship of the goddess um, Artemis, the god of fertility. Apparently the sister of Apollo and the Pantheon godship. All these people are turning from worship of Artemis to worship of the one true God. And so it's ruffling feathers. It's creating way to the point where they want to kill Paul. They want to take him out. And so a riot ensued in Ephesus. And thankfully cooler heads prevailed and the magistrate was able to tell Paul, we're going to handle this. And they tell the crowd, you guys need to settle down or you will be in breach This is an illegal scene. You need to disperse. But they never let it go. 
They kept going out and seeking after Paul and would follow him to different towns within uh, Pamphylia and Asia Minor and beyond. Paul didn't forget this because just before he went to Corinthians, he penned this letter saying, I despaired of life itself. Think about it. Ministry is not always easy. It's a blessing, but it's not always easy. What I appreciate about his words here, and just like you perhaps, is that again, he was human like us. It's okay to not be okay. You ever say that to yourself? It's okay to not be okay. Yeah, Lacey. I'm right there with you. It's okay. I'm not okay today. I'm not okay. And I, you know, I appreciate the faith. You know, I've done it too, where someone says, you know, hey, Andrew, how you doing? Oh man, I'm good. I'm crystal. I'm, I'm, I'm excellent. When actually on the inside, I'm like a raging wind of some kind. Right? Don't get me wrong. I, one thing I really appreciate about growing up in the church, especially in Pentecostal circles, you've probably heard this. You know, Ron, how you doing today? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen? Yes. Amen. I am. But here Paul is showing, he's writing the letter. There was a time when I was not okay. I despaired of life itself. I felt as if we were carrying the sentence of death. Because they were. Literally and figuratively. Because they followed Christ. It's okay to say you're not okay. I remember one church I was serving in, and understand, I'm not equating my experience to the type of affliction or persecution that Paul endured, or Barnabas, or the other members of the early church, but I remember I was serving in a, in a place, and it's ministry, and um, about six months into this assignment, we'll call it, um, I find out that there's no um, finances coming into my bank account. Wow, that's really odd. So I start tracking it and see what's going on. And sure enough, I had missed multiple paychecks. And, you know, I just, I thought of this recently because when we look at affliction, it can stretch into areas of mental, social, physical, and economic. And, you know, I'm doing a good job this place and I didn't quite understand it. And at first I just sat back and said, well, Lord, you're going to take care of it and just prayed about it and... And then one day he gave me the boldness just to ask. You know, I went to the pastor and I said, Pastor, and I shared the story. And they're like, no, it's, it's been taken care of. Like, no, we've, we're assured that you've been, you know, being paid. I'm like, no, I can, I can assure you it's not happening. And so I showed them my bank statement. They're like, oh, my goodness. And so to make a long story short, there was some embezzlement happening. And, and, the, and the treasurer was actually pocketing my paycheck. Things happen. Things happen because we're human. We're, you know, we, we, we sin and thankfully we have a high priest to sympathize with us and yet lived a perfect sinless life. But afflictions do happen. It's not always rosy. Remember another place I was serving in. I'm not kidding you. I've had some really interesting experiences I'm part of a, a pretty neat team and the church is growing and thriving. We're even looking at a building expansion. Okay? We're busting at the seams. And then one day out of the blue, after we had a special speaker, give a prophetic word, Isaiah, about the, the days ahead. And we're all riding pretty high. Thank you, Jesus. All oh, this is wonderful. And you, I, I can't even remember what the, the guest speaker had shared, but it was so bang on. I mean, to the T, we're getting all geared up, fired up. That next morning, I come into my office, like, woohoo. And I'm there, and, you know, one of the uh, leaders comes in and says, hey, can you come here for a second? 
I come to this room and I found out my colleague had just been let go, had just been fired, and they said, we're, we're, we're letting you go also. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> I didn't find out for a year and a half, maybe two years later, what actually had happened because it was all a big, it was all a big cover up, not on behalf of the church, but on behalf of the leader. They had moral fa- failure and thought that me and the colleague knew about it. And that's why we were let go. Sometimes you face just crazy obstacles. And the even worse thing is, if other people don't know the information, you can maybe even be ridiculed. Like, well, there must be something wrong with the way you go about the ministry. We go through these things, and it's okay to say I'm not okay. And this is something that I had to learn. I had to be willing to, to share with leadership and share my story. Because if I just went around saying, hey, you know what? I'm blessed and highly favored, never talk about things. You don't open yourself up to be comforted. You gotta be open. You gotta be vulnerable to go through that process. And so Paul here, he's, he's putting himself out there by this abundant love he has for the Corinthians. He's being open, he's being honest, so that by his example, by his heartfelt letter, that they too would be impacted and would continue on the road of faith, no matter what. No matter what they face. And so he's showing us here that affliction can be purposeful. Now, would you be able to tell yourself that in the morning, you look in the mirror, no matter what affliction I've, I've, I'm enduring right now, it's pretty apparent. Lord, I'm believing it's for a purpose and you're gonna work through it. <laughs> First Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. A lot of times we get in this place where we compare each other to one another. And he's talking about these so-called other super apostles and at times, you know, sizing himself up, comparing himself. But he emphasizes how who he is and where he had been brought out of was because of the grace of God. And yet again, somehow between his pen, penning of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, in some way he had forgotten that. He goes on to write in 2 Corinthians 4.15. He says, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Think about it. What you go through, his grace is sufficient for you, but so that it is a, a benefit for you to continue to grow to the glory of God. Here we see, after this interaction, this opening chapter, Paul shares and explains to the Corinthians, look, I've been dealing with another affliction in my life. He goes on to say in chapter 12 that he has this thorn in his flesh. And we can put aside, this is not a sin issue, because did Jesus come so that sin would just remain in our life? No. He came to free us from our sin. And so Paul's talking about this thorn in the flesh in in 12 verse 7. He says that this thorn was put there so that he would not exalt himself. But this uh, thorn was given as a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. I don't know about you, but this is a tough thing to do. 
Lord, I'm going to praise you in the midst of this thorn, in the midst of this, you know, this oppression, if you will, because your grace is sufficient for me. I'm amazed this, this wording is, is taking me back. Ron, what do you think? He goes on to say, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. And he goes on to say, so I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is something I think that speaks to all of us. To get to this place, this is where he's coming from. That we went through this, we, we came through this from one side to the other so that we would not trust in ourselves, verse 9, but in God who raises the dead. God gets our attention in all different ways. And if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what he's doing, we won't miss that message. And so he shows us in verse 10 of this incredible deliverance, this freedom that is theirs through faith in Christ, no matter what they faced. That's why on our website it says, Jesus transforms our lives. We all have a story to share. We're glad you're here. Each one of us, we've all gone through something. We've all endured different afflictions and we've come out on many of them on the other side. Maybe other areas we're about to come through. That breakthrough is about to happen. We have to continue to remain faithful. Like Paul said, I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. So the walkaway point here for today is this, that just like genuine affection alleviates affliction, being transparent opens us up to be comforted. It's okay to not be okay. And so here in this assembly, I want to encourage all of you, if you're having a bad day, don't misunderstand. We're not looking just to get all, you know, shift the attention from Jesus and be all about, I need attention. But it's important to be real with each other. If you're not, if you're not doing okay and you need help or you need prayer or you need a breakthrough, be sure to talk to somebody. You know, a member in the, in the church, even come chat with me. We need each other. I have people that I talk to all the time. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing when you have someone to talk to. Sometimes we think Paul, again, was doing this all on his lonesome, but he wasn't. He had Barnabas. He had Timothy. He had Titus. He was surrounded. And we're surrounded by the angels in heaven that their very purpose is for us who are inheriting salvation. Are we open to receive comfort? Are we open to receive comfort? And as the worship team comes, let's draw our attention just for a moment. In verse five, Paul reminds us, look, you're gonna face suffering. And yet, while you endure suffering, the comfort of God will overflow to you. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Jesus says this in John 15, if the world hates you, understand it hated me first. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it. 
And this is why the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus calls out to the crowds. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? And here's the kicker. This is not meant to be a condemnation, but a, you know, a reality check, to be real with one another. In verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. We know in this world is very similar to the times of Christ and in some respects, much worse. And that these words ring true to us today that we don't have to leave here today in a place of dread of the, that the Lord's gonna be ashamed with me. No, because if you believe in him and you trust in him and you say, Lord, I, I wanna jettison my truth for your truth. He's not gonna be ashamed on you on the day that he returns. And if we're gonna live by his truth, we can understand as Paul is showing us, it's not gonna be easy. But we can have this assurance that when we live by his word, we live according to his truth, we will have peace of mind each day that we wake up. When people name call you or maybe even ridicule you because of what you believe, stick the course, fight the good fight of faith because Jesus also said in John 16, in relation to all this, in the last days, he says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, I've conquered the world. And this is what Paul understood at the very end again in verse 10, he has delivered us from a, such a terrible death and he will deliver us. Say, he will deliver. He will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. While you join in helping us by your prayers. Wow. He will deliver us again. No matter what you go through this week, whatever you, experiences that you have, keep this in the back of your mind, that no matter what I face, God is using it all. He's working through it all, that his promise towards me is, is good and he's gonna deliver me in all things, in this life or into the next. Amen. This is the word that we have to benefit from, to glean from, we are not alone. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this afternoon. Lord, even in the midst of all the things that shared and the many things that were not prepared, Holy Spirit, I ask as you teach each one of us, Lord, that which we need to hear would be deposited into our spirit right now. Lord, allow it to permeate. Holy Spirit, water it. And that it may grow 
and come to fruition in our life as we live after you. Lord Jesus, in these last days, as the days become more dark, we're thankful, Lord, of your light that breaks through the darkness and guides our path. We thank you for the promise of your word, that your word is a lamp to our feet and a guide to our path. Thank you, Lord, for each person that's here this afternoon, that you're guiding each of them. You're stirring and moving in each of our respective lives. Lord, thank you that when we face difficult circumstances, Lord, that you are in it, that you're working through it, even when we don't see it, or maybe even despaired of hope, that you're working. You're working. You're working. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to speak and bless your name, even all the things that we face day in and day out. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that we too will be raised to life here, now, and most assuredly when you return on the clouds with your holy angels. We look forward to that day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In your loving name, amen. Amen. If you're able, would you join us in the time of worship? Remember these words as we sing and declare the blessing of God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.